0: Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 34 through 38. It's a story of how Peter is addressing a, a Roman captain and, and, and all that goes in. The entire 10th chapter covers that. We're only reading a snippet of that this morning. Then Peter replied to that captain, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, open our hearts and our minds as we gather here today that we might experience you fully and that we might be able to to know you well as we gather in this place. Help us to learn from you and help us to dedicate ourselves to you for it's in your name we pray. Amen. When it's all said and done, I think there are probably two kinds of people in this world. There are those who give more than they take, and there are those who take more than they give. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, which one are we? Where do we fit in that? Or which one are we going to be in the days that are out in front of us? It would be nice if most of us don't already know the answer to that, but the fact of the matter is most of us do. But if you don't, you can find out very easily by just asking yourself a couple of questions. If every Christian did as much for Jesus as I do, would the faith be better or worse? Or if everybody did as much in church as I do, would the church be better or worse? There are a lot of positive things that you can say about Jesus. He was a brilliant teacher. He was a prophet. He was a radical change agent for the world. He was a man of extraordinary courage. He was a man of true compassion. He was a revolutionary for peace on earth. He was the savior of the world. But our scripture today tells us one thing that Jesus would, one thing that Jesus did that we really need to notice because this characteristic of Jesus' life is the one thing that we can all emulate. Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good. What that verse is actually telling us is we may not be able to do everything that Jesus did. We may not be able to accomplish everything that Jesus accomplished, but everybody can do this. Everybody can go around doing good. It's not a debate of whether we can do that. The only questions will be, will we choose to do that? And how will we do it if we choose to? If we want to do good, we can. So, how do we start? Well, I believe the first step is for us to cultivate our conscience. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The ancient Hebrews believed that the heart was the seat of conscience, that it was the center of our conscience. Today, when we say heart, we usually think of our emotions, but that's not what they thought of at all. They saw the heart as the center of conscience. So when the writer of Proverbs says, Guard your heart above all else, what he's saying is, guard your conscience above everything. For it's going to determine the course of your life. Let's back up just a little bit to the first part of this story that we're looking at today. This passage of Scripture is part of a story where Peter is addressing a Roman captain by the name of Cornelius. And what you need to remember about Cornelius is that Cornelius was neither a Jew nor a Christian, but he was a devout man who went about doing good, Acts 10, 1 through 2. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Now, one more time, Cornelius was not a Jew, and he was not a Christian, but he was a man of conscience, and it was a conscience that was such that he knew that it had to be born from beyond himself. Having the kind of conscience he had could not have just been something that he conjured. It had to be something that was coming from beyond himself. So, Cornelius prayed to that unknown God and he did good things for the poor. He had a godly conscience that was gui- the guiding light of his life. That's what the apostle Paul was saying. In Romans 2, 14 and 15, even many Gentiles naturally obey what the law commands, even though they don't have the law. This proves that the conscience is like a law written in the human heart, for their conscience either accuses them or it tells them that they are doing right. What Paul is saying here is, let your conscience be your guide, but, and this is very important, so pay attention here, Your conscience is like a computer. It spits out what you put into it, which means you have to enter the right data if you want to get the right results, which is why what we believe is so vitally important. A good conscience can be strengthened by a proper belief or it can be weakened if we neglect trying to develop what we should believe. Or to say it another way, If if you do the wrong thing long enough, you'll start to either think it's right or it just won't matter to you anymore. Several years ago, I had someone come to me and they were on the wrong road and they knew it. They had been on it for a while. They had been making bad decisions. During the course of the conversation, they said something that was very important and something I will never forget. They said, the more you sin, the easier it gets. If you want to cultivate your conscience, we need to program in the right data, the right information, and we need to build our resistance to the wrong information, to doing the wrong things, to building an improper belief. But that's not all that we need to do. We also need to cultivate our concern in our lives. How do you do that? Well, you do that by asking yourself another question. What really gets under your skin? What's wrong in the world that we need to help make right and that we just can't live with not making it right? I've been standing in this pulpit for over a quarter of a century. I noted that at 8.30, that makes me a fossil, and someone amen to that. It was a joyous moment in my life. Anyway... I have been standing here for a very long time. In the course of the 26 years that I've been standing here, there's one thing that has not changed much at all. Every Sunday, I think about the people who come here. I think about the people who are going to be here. I think about them all during the week or the two weeks before I get up to preach at this church. And I ask myself, what does everyone need to hear from me that'll make their lives better for the future? What can I say that'll help cultivate that concern that people would want to go and get invested in life." And I think as long as I have been in the ministry, that I've noticed that there are five primary reasons that most people come to church. They want to know that God loves them. They want a community of support that will be there for them in the crisis times. They want to know that they can start over when they've made a mess out of everything. They want somebody to show them how to be better people, and they want somebody to show them how they can make a difference in the world. Those five things are what I see as being the primary reason that most people choose to come to church. Folks, there are a lot of things that you can say about me, but there's one thing that I don't think anybody can say. You can't say that I don't take those things seriously. You've never seen me walk into this pulpit when I had not spent hours developing what I was going to try to say, when I had not taken seriously what I was trying to communicate, something that would make a difference for all of us in our lives. This pulpit is sacred space. It's sacred ground to me. And what I say here I know can help cultivate the spiritual lives of people, and it can help cultivate our concern for the world that's out in front of us. You be able to say things about me that wouldn't be flattering, but you can't say that I don't take this hour and that responsibility seriously. I try to cultivate a spirit of rightness, a spirit of loving kindness, a spirit of Christ-likeness, and I've tried to cultivate a spirit of concern in this church that would just become the DNA of the church that we attend and live in. I want this church to be a church that welcomes people that nobody else wants and that nobody is trying, nobody else is trying to reach. I want this church to be a church where a homeless person can walk through that door and they can feel just as welcomed in this church as the bank president can. I want this church to be a place where a person who's messed up in life can come in here and they can feel the unlimited mercy of God when they come here. I want this church to be a place that's convinced that it can make a difference in the world no matter what the mess is that we are facing in life. I want this church to be a place where people of every color and every nationality can walk through that door and the only thing that they see are a bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ who want them to be there. I want this church to be a place where young women can come in and know that they can be equal to any man on this earth and they can grow up to be anything that they want to be, including the pastor of this church or any other church. We're living in a country that tells young women that they can be anything that they want to be, that anything they set their minds on, they can accomplish. They can be a doctor, a lawyer, a banker, an accountant, an educator, a military officer, a firefighter, a nurse, a paramedic, a police officer, a college president, a legislator, even the president of the United States. But unfortunately, the evangelical church tells young women that they can be anything they want to be unless they want to be the pastor of an evangelical church. As long as a young woman doesn't want to speak a good word for Jesus, she can do whatever God calls her to do. But if she wants to speak and lead in the name of the Lord, then she's messed up because the traditional evangelical church and the Catholic church are the only two places in Western society that tells a woman that she can't do what God is calling her to do, that's wrong. It was the women who went to that tomb that morning to to discover that Jesus Christ had arisen from the dead. It was the women who who had the courage to go and stand in front of those Roman soldiers and challenge them. It was the women who went back to prepare Jesus' body for for burial. It was the women who experienced that, that risen Savior that came to them that day. And it was the women that Jesus said to them, go and tell the disciples, I'll meet them in Galilee. It was the women who had to go find the men because the men were hiding in the house. Those women were the first God-called proclaimers of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and most of those women died martyrs' deaths before it was over because they refused to quit telling of the man who had risen from the dead that day. My goal is for this church to baptize as many people as we can into that kind of ministry of grace. I want us to be a place where young and old men and women, boys and girls, people of color, rich people, poor people, gay, straight, the fully committed and people who are not sure they believe anything. I want everybody who walks through those doors to be people who know they're standing on holy ground and they're welcome on that ground they're loved they're cared for God is on their side and they can become anything that God wants them to be I want our church to be a church that shows the world that the future is indeed bright with hope and by the power of God we can be part of that hope and we can cultivate an unlimited concern for our world and we can go into that world to make a difference I would love to have 2,000 people coming to this church every Sunday morning. I would just love to have the numbers of people that we had before COVID hit. But honestly, I'd rather have 100 people who are truly committed to being the kind of church that I have just outlined than have 10,000 people who want to go to church to be entertained on Sunday and who think that God's love is limited and his grace is only for a few. We need to be concerned for our world. We need to be concerned for the message that we're giving to this world. And we need to be involved in taking a stand for what is right, even if what is right makes us unpopular for many. There's a plaque that's on the wall of the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. That plaque says, Thou shalt not be a victim, thou shalt not be a perpetrator, and above all else, thou shalt not be a bystander. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that truly matter. I have heard Dr. <clears throat> excuse me, Dr. Andrew Young, former mayor of Atlanta and 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 right hand man to to Dr. King make the comment that They didn't have a great deal of of trouble forgiving the people who threw rocks and bottles at them and screamed all kinds of terrible things at them. Those people were standing for what they believed, even though what they believed were wrong, and they knew that their attitudes could be overcome with grace and with love and with time as those things were invested in them. He said, the people that we had the struggles to forgive were the African-American community who sat in their houses while the rest of us were being pummeled with those rocks and bottles. He said that we would go into town and these people who went to church every Sunday morning would go into their houses and lock the doors and not come out. They were perfectly happy with us going out and fighting their battles for them, but they wanted to be the bystanders. I hope nobody can ever say that about Blacksburg Baptist Church. I hope nobody can ever say that we sat on the sidelines when something important was coming along. I hope nobody can ever say that we didn't take seriously those things that mattered. We need to cultivate our concern for the priorities of Jesus. And we need to cultivate our concern for his world. And last, we also need to cultivate our calling for God. We're called to make a difference, God. We're called to follow God just as Matthias was, to make all the difference that we can as we're living our lives. We're not just being called to do good things. Anybody can do good things. We're called to do good things that matter in heaven. God isn't just calling us to, to do good, do the good stuff that's cool or to do the good stuff that happens to be chic at the time. Our calling is to listen for a divine whisper and then to go after that divine whisper. Somebody asked me one day how I knew for sure that I was called to the ministry. I said I was called because I started feeling this urgency inside me, this urgent summons, and it would not let me go. It just kept weighing on me. You know you're being called when you when you see a need in the world. It's not being fulfilled, and you can't let go of that need. It just comes back to you over and over. It doesn't have to be something that's big. Sometimes we're just called. Called to do the right thing even in the small things, to make the right choice at the moment and to trust that that choice will make a difference. And take my word for it, doing that is a lot easier if we'll take the time to cultivate our compassion for the world. Peter said, Jesus went about doing good, showing compassion to everyone he met. Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. When he saw hungry people, he had compassion on them. When he he saw people searching for hope and meaning, he had compassion on them. When he saw people who were sick, he had compassion on them. When he saw people who needed help, he had compassion on them. One day a woman was caught in adultery. The good religious leaders who were basically hypocrites drugged to Jesus, they said, this woman was caught in adultery. Our law says that she should be stoned to death. What do you say? Those guys didn't care about that woman. They didn't even care about the law. What they were trying to do was trap Jesus, and they thought they had him. If he said, no, don't stone her, he was going against the law. If he said, yes, stone her, he was going against everything that he had taught, and they knew his followers would walk off and leave him, they thought they had Jesus until Jesus looked at them and said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. That's the moment those men knew Nobody was qualified to throw a stone. Everybody are sinners. We need to remember something here, folks. That woman was guilty of her crime. But Jesus had compassion on that woman. He saved her life. And then he said to her, now go and sin no more, which was basically his way of saying, I've saved your life. Now go do something good with it. We need to cultivate compassion because true compassion can change things in us and in the world around us. I told you before that the best preacher that I ever heard was Dr. Fred Craddock. That man could weave a story into a gospel lesson better than anybody I've ever heard. Fred's mother was a devout Christian, but Fred's daddy didn't want anything to do with what he called organized religion. Fred's mother took the kids to church every Sunday, but, but her, her, their father stayed at home, and he routinely complained about those hypocrites down there at that church. When the pastor would come by to make a visit, Fred's dad would always say to him, you don't care about me. You just want another name on the road, and you want another check in the offering plate. It always embarrassed Fred's mother to death every time he would say that, but she kept but going back to church. She kept taking her children to church. She kept praying that sooner or later something would happen that would change her husband's heart. When Fred decided to go into the ministry, Fred's dad did not understand it at all. It bothered him intensely. He could not understand why his son would want to do something like that. Even after Fred became a professor of communications and preaching at Emory University, Fred's dad still didn't understand it. He honestly thought that Fred was just wasting his life going into the ministry. But then Fred's dad came down with cancer, and by the time they found it, it was too late to do very much about it. A few days later, Fred went up to Tennessee to see his dad, and when he got there, what he discovered was that dad's hospital his dad's hospital room was full of flowers and plants that had been sent by the church people. There were over a hundred prayer cards that had been sent to Fred's dad by people of that church. The pastor that Fred's dad had insulted so many times had come every day to see Fred's dad at the hospital and, and lots of those church people had come to make visits and every day they brought food to Fred 's mother so that Fred Fred's mother would have something to eat there. When Fred got to the hospital that day, his dad was intubated, so he couldn't speak. Fred went over and he gave him, a, gave him a hug, and when he did, Fred's dad started pointing at Fred's pen, wanting him to give him a pen, so he gave him the pen. When he did, Fred's dad picked up a box of tissues, and he wrote some words on the side of it, and, and then he handed it to Fred. When Fred looked at it, they were words from Hamlet. It said, in this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story Fred read it and he didn't know what to make of it at all he had no idea what his daddy was talking about so he looked at me he said dad what story do you want me to tell when he did Fred's dad took that tissue box and he wrote on the side of it tell them I was wrong compassion compassion changes things Compassion makes a difference. Compassion leads people to a different place than they've ever been before. It helps us to know when we are wrong. It helps us to know when we are right and we need to take a stand. Compassion changes things. And if we allow ourselves to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can become a channel for the good things that God wants the church to do and be in the world. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good. Folks, if Jesus Christ needed the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do the good things that he needed to do in the world, then you can bet your life that we're going to need that same power. But the good news is that power can come to us just like it came to Jesus, and it can live within our hearts, and it can cultivate every gift that we need to be what God wants us to be, provided that we are willing to pray and ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our souls. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you today knowing very well that you have something that you want us to experience through you, You want us to have the gifts that that your son had, that all of the other disciples had. You, You want us to have the power living inside our hearts that can give us the ability to step into the world that is and believe that we can make a difference in it, that we can reveal something of you that no one else has ever seen, that by the power of that Spirit that we can become something more. Help us, Lord, to want the spirit of Jesus Christ in our hearts today. Help us to have the courage to come to you and say, Lord, I know there's something missing and I believe that your spirit is what it is. Let the wonder of your spirit live within us and come and make us into the kind of people that you want us to be. Live inside us and guide our consciences. Help us to be concerned for the world. Help us to do what you would have us do to grow compassion within us, the kind of compassion that truly makes a difference. Come, Lord Jesus, live in our hearts. Save us from what we could be and make us into what we should be. For it's in your name we offer our prayer. Amen.